It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, so Sam, I just want to do a test situation just so we can practice in the event of us accidentally leaving the mic on. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. So the mics aren't on now, are they? Nah, nah, this is just a test. No mics, no, not a real situation. Oh, thank God, because it would be a bit embarrassing if a, a test situation actually became a real situation, eh? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. I mean, it'd be awful if the mics were on. I, I, I wouldn't really want the listeners to know the truth, if you get me. Oh, jeez. I mean, imagine if they heard me admit I'm actually a massive Southampton fan. <laughs> Oh, me too, me too. Oh, and the Saints go Go marching in. Oh, and the the Saints Saints go. Oh, Sam. Here's Steve Fletcher. Stunning goal. Tracking start for Bournemouth. And it's their longest-serving player who's put them in a position of prominence. Well, what a finish this is, Rob. <laughs> the big fella there and the delight on his face. Absolutely incredible. Wearing his favourite number 10 shirt. Hello and welcome to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker, wearing the blue away shirt. And me, Sam Davis, wearing the same Bournemouth shirt I always wear, you know, the Premier League one. And here we are, finally at the last game of the season. Yeah, and we've literally just finished watching the game against Manchester United, so we'll be bringing you the freshest fan thoughts we've ever had. So fresh that my inbox is still pinging. Mmm, I know, it's bulging like the compensation tray of a certain Manchester-based security company, Sean. But anyway, let's get going. Coming up on the show this week. We don't even have time to edit out the ums and ahs as we have your fan thoughts following the game at Old Trafford. We'll then discuss the key moments from the match and also there'll be another Do You Remember? 
There's no time for a supporter profile this week. Uh, what is this? What's not coming up on the show this week? We also don't have a giveaway where you can win a million pounds. We do, however, no doubt, have some more terrible puns in club news. Potentially. Now, the big interview this week is part two of my chat with the big and Steve Fletcher. This week, we discuss his non-playing days, which includes the tear-inducing tale of the day he sat with Eddie and realised it was the end of an era. He also talks about his varying roles within the club and a real insight into why he thinks Eddie is so successful and whether we can keep hold of him. Cannot wait. And if that wasn't enough, we'll announce the winners of the 2016 Back of the Net End of Season Awards. And we'll also do the draw live on the show to find out which one of you has won the Back of the Net Eddie Had a Dream t-shirt. It may not be a million pounds, Sean, but it's still one hell of a prize, eh? It sure is, Sam. So come on then, the engine's running, so I'm going to put this baby in first gear and put the pedal to metal as we hear your fan thoughts on the game against United. But first, here's a summary from Talk Sport, which features an interjection from presenter and United fan Andy Goldstein. Manchester United have won the final Premier League game of the season, beating Bournemouth 3-1 at Old Trafford. Sunday's planned contest between the teams had to be abandoned because of that bomb scare. The result confirms a fifth-place finish for Louis van Gaal's men, who ended outside of the Champions League places because of goal difference. Fans' thoughts on Sunday. Respecte from Southbourne. That's one of the best performances of the season. I think we... uh, I'm happy with a clean sheet. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, they look steady at the back for the first time. We're going to ship any goals. Richie was incredible. Yeah. Really improved yeah, on the last week. Well, it probably his performance of the season. Um, he, so well. he did. And yeah. he took it off and again. Took off again. Yeah. yeah, I've been round Tesco's to get some beer for the journey home. Yeah. And I've got all the Farragas in my pockets. Yeah, warming up. <laughs> See you later, boys. It's Neil from West London. Had a lovely couple of days up in Manchester, cost an absolute fortune, but it was all well worth it when Manchester United fans clapped us singing we've got more fans than you when this stadium was half empty. I heard Don McGuinness on Talk Sports rather derisively say that we were booing the stadium announcements. I think uh, people need to realise that that was only because the only information we got was staying in, stay in your seats and await further instructions even after the abandonment had been announced on social media. So it's a bit disappointing there for Manchester United. Anyway, we're going to try and get up to the, uh, the rearranged game tomorrow night and uh, may even be able to report back on something positive then. Cheers for now. Fans' thoughts from Tuesday. Rubbish. 
So a mixed bag there on the fan thoughts. We had the game on Sunday, and thanks for Neil and Big T. And then I think the fan thoughts from the game today was perfectly summed up by whoever that was that left us that message. Yeah, it wasn't the best game, was it? Marcus Rashford impressed as Manchester United clinched a Europa League group spot by beating the Cherries in the rearranged Premier League match. The teams met at a sparsely populated Old Trafford after Sunday's debacle with the bomb scare. Wayne Rooney tucked home a goal after Rashford's dummy. That was just before half-time. And then the young striker drilled in from 15 yards later on. And after that second half towards the end, Ashley Young converted Rooney's pass before Chris Smalling diverted in Max Gradle's shot as United finished fifth and AFC Bournemouth finished 16th. It was a slight change for the starting eleven compared to Sunday's first 11 where Harry Arter was out on the team sheet Eddie Howe referred to it as an injury I'm not so sure but anyway we'll have to trust what Eddie Howe said there Dan Gosling came in now on the bench there was no Boric of course uh, Federici was in goal and Boric was on the bench but not so this time Eterbe was gone uh, and uh, Corey Jordan who I actually saw on the first episode of Back of the Net, he is a central defender and he's a real talent, one to look out for. So he sat on the bench. So, yeah, the teams came out onto the hallowed turf of Old Trafford and uh, the mascots were a bit, uh, well, how do we say different, Sean? <laughs> I know. Just imagine, right, <laughs> you've been on the waiting list for like six years to be a Manchester United mascot and then you, your letter comes through and little Billy's going to get to walk out with Wayne Rooney. You get there, you get led into the changing room and they go, right, here's your blue wig and here's your full <laughs> blue paint for body. And it was like, what? So these kids come out dressed in blue and it was like, uh, if, if, if any of you guys have seen Arrested Development, the TV show, yeah. where um, there's the guy that is the extra for the Blue Man group. So he basically walks around the house, Tobias walks around the house as uh, fully painted up. It's kind of what this kid looked like. And, it, of course, it got you why the kid's wearing blue. And it turns out it's a horrible reason. It's some horrible sponsorship deal United have got with the um, poor man's Avengers, the X-Men. And so for this new movie, they've made these kids get fully painted up in blue. Awful, awful, awful. It really wasn't good, and it just shows the way football's going, eh? But it didn't get much better on the pitch, really. Now, the first half an hour, I can't remember having anything of note whatsoever. There were a few half chances for United, but they were dominating the ball completely. Bournemouth really didn't get a look in. I noticed our players were slipping around on this greasy surface so much. Now, on Sunday's game, when the fans um, were sort of uh, milling before the match started, but which didn't start, of course, they were saying, that um, it seems to be some excessive watering of the pitch the uh, uh, that the ground staff were doing. And I don't know, it seems like they were probably doing it for the last two days. I remember going back in league, whatever, lo long way from where we are now, we played away at Northampton and it was when they were real big hoofing up the middle and we went away to their place. And I remember that down the middle of the pitch, it was dry as a bone and they'd put like extra sand in so that when they did their big, long, high hoofs, it didn't bounce on. And either side on the sidelines, because we were, you know, we've always played with wing players and fullbacks attacking. It was almost waterlogged. It was ridiculous. And I remember <laughs> we lost that day and it was it was all down to the pitch. And yeah, maybe United were, were trying to, you know, cut down on our slick passing. 
Yeah, well, LVG certainly does his research, doesn't he? So maybe that was on his iPad. Who knows? But... On 32, 33 minutes, um, we did have a free kick in quite a promising position that um, it kind of had shades of uh, the same position as when we were playing Southampton at home. Matt Ritchie had it on the right-hand side, Sean. Yeah, Sam's stealing my research there. So th- this this all came about because the highlight of the first half for many people, it seemed, on Twitter and on Facebook was the fact that Eddie Howe swore on the TV cameras. You could clearly see him saying, for F's sake... But what he was saying, and this is what I was discussing off-air with, with Sam... See, this is why you never talk off-air, do you, Sam? Um, okay. He was shouting at Matty. It looked like he, people were thinking that he was shouting at Pewey because after the free kick where Francis looped it to the back post, Pewey did about 18 Cruyff turns and then got <laughs> tackled by Rooney. But he wasn't. He was shouting at Matty and he was saying, Matty, shoot, and then did like the, the Steve Fletcher arm thing when Fletcher used to whiz one wide and he used to do his little arm coming out swooshy. It's hard to do this on the radio, but whoosh, like that. And I look back at the Southampton goal that Cook scored where... Richie smashed it in low and hard towards the goal as a shot. And then Fraser Forster could only parry it and Cook scored. I'm pretty sure that that was what Eddie wanted from that position. He wanted Richie to bend it with his left foot, put De Gea under pressure. Instead, he did a dummy run. Francis looped it, came to nothing. And then, yeah, we got one of the two highlights of the first half, which involved our manager swearing. Yeah, and Jack Wiles on Twitter agreed with you. He said, our pieces are League Two. And it's quite telling that the main talking point is what was happening off the pitch with Eddie Howe swearing. And once again, I think it was on about 41 minutes, our fans uh, brought a bit of hilarity to proceeding, Sean. They did. Now, again, it shows you how far we have come. Who would have imagined that in 2016 we'd be playing at Old Trafford in a Premier League game with the, the, the away fans singing, echoing around Old Trafford, there's only one Jason Tyndall. There's only one Jason Tyndall. And then they follow that up with, he's got a great tan, Jason Tyndall. He's got a great tan. (laughs) So good work to everyone for that. And, well... Man United did take the lead. It was coming, wasn't it? And it was uh, just before half-time. Rooney finish. It was a well-worked goal, Sean. (laughs) Now, if I was contracted as an AFC Bournemouth player, I would not be telling you right now what a great team goal that was. Hey, Mr Tomlin. But seeing as I'm not and the season is now over and we can retrospectively look back after the occasion, it was an absolute piece of quality, speed, passing and finish. Yes. Yeah, it was really good. But um, the second half, we'll, we'll move on. And it didn't really bring up anything more to get excited about did it it was uh it was really bad we really do miss arta uh jack darch on twitter said we're missing arta gosling can't even pass a free kick now that was uh when we had a chance and uh he overplayed it to josh king that was um just yeah, just very typical the one plus point we had our crowd were absolutely brilliant in the first half where we were we were poor. I mean, the second half, we were as poor as the first, but we were absolutely superb. Leona on Twitter said epic noise from Eddie Howe's Barmy Army, loud and clear all over the radio. It's a real credit considering, you know, what's gone on in the last 48 hours, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, it was. It was a real great effort. And, you know, it's just such a shame just seeing that 
empty stadium though and you know the kind of atmosphere it ended up it would have been so different on Sunday and I do feel a bit well I feel a lot sorry for the players that were gearing up because they would have looked at that fixture before the season started and they would have really been looking forward to playing in front of a full house you know and high tempo and of course it ended up just being well you'd say a pre-season friendly but at least with pre-season friendly sometimes you get you know like a fan that gets 10 minutes or Ted McDougal plays for a couple of minutes yeah. for a bit of excitement, whereas kind of this didn't really have anything. But no, well done to all the all the uh, fans. Um, what else were highlights oh, on the on the commentary? Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> our, our players are getting very posh because it was it was Gradel. It wasn't yeah. Gradel. It was Gradel. And then when Graban came on, it was Graban <laughs> for about two minutes. And then even the commentator kind of gave up on the game and just started calling in Graben. But um, and actually, when when Graben came on, the goal that we did did get because let's just go. I mean, United scored another couple of goals and all that stuff. But in the ninety whatever I can't remember, my eyes were glossed over by then. But um, Graben just kept getting on the ball, kept moving, looked like he actually you know was trying to find a way through. Some good ball football got him to the byline. Good cross back. De Gea, I think, just got a finger on it. Gradel appeared to want to put it out for a throw-in, but luckily Smalling was there to get his toe onto the ball, poke it in the bottom corner. At least we got one, which gave the 3-1 prediction I think I did call. More importantly, it stopped United having the best defensive record in the league. De Gea did not win the Golden Glove Award because uh, he let one more goal in, conceded by Smalling. And at least we got a goal at Old Trafford and a little bit of a cheer. Yeah, that's right. We there were you know there were a couple of things that I was going to mention. First half, Pugh had a shot that was blocked. Second half, Wilson and King combined. But other than that, there wasn't much. The only thing that I was kind of looking forward to out this whole thing is the puns that we got, Sean. But there wasn't really much of that either. Now Ross Devonport tweeted in saying even a bomb going off wouldn't wake this game up too soon he said in brackets wouldn't say that's a uh, a pun as such but certainly a statement anyway and there's a certain salvatore now i've heard of him before and he called it the theater of sweet dreams with all the z's ah oh, that's brilliant that's that's the best pun match headline i think we've had all season actually so salvatore's anyway let's that was your nickname wasn't it uh yeah it might have been yeah could have been um, anyway, let's let's move on from something that we want to forget to something I want you to remember. <laughs> because here comes, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? This player was born on the thirteenth of September, nineteen sixty-seven, in Wigan and made his professional debut for Wigan Athletic in 1985. He was part of the Aston Villa squad that gained promotion to the top division in 1988. He initially joined the Cherries on loan in 1993 from Portsmouth, where he had made 133 appearances. After a short spell on loan at Swansea, he then signed permanently for Bournemouth later that season. (music) 
He made just over 30 appearances over two years for AFCB before transferring to Carlisle. He was probably most famous for two things. One, his physique, which was more Tomlin than Ronaldo. And secondly, for receiving the ball into his nether regions twice in the same game while appearing back at Dean Court as a visiting player. Okay, that's this week's Do You Remember to test your brain. And it's not a great example of a brain, but it's the best that I can find right now. And uh, let's find out from Sam Davis whether he can remember. I was at that game in the last clue about getting hit in the nether regions twice. And I've got a player in my mind. But I can't. But all the rest of the clues don't ring true. So maybe my knowledge of that player isn't so good. Or maybe I've just got the completely wrong player. I do not know. Okay, well, at the end of the show, if we remember, we will put you out of your misery and tell you the answer to the quiz. I really want to get onto that segment right now because this is going to do my head in. So right now, here's Sean with Club News. A-N-C-B Club News. West Ham stick their irons in the fire but can't pull out some hot cherries. Pete O'Rourke, a journalist formerly with Sky Sports, has claimed that West Ham had a transfer bid of £25 million for Callum Wilson and Matt Ritchie turned down this week by the club. O'Rourke announced the move on his Twitter account and it was quickly picked up by other news agencies, although Sky Sports have now said that due to AFCB saying they are not for sale, the Hammers will now move on to other targets. Will you take this cherry? Yes, they both say. It appears that Save the Date cards were not dished around the cherries changing room fast enough this season as both Callum Wilson and Tommy Elphick have scheduled their weddings on the same day. Wilson told the Daily Echo that due to his long-term injury, he was able to be involved in a lot of the planning for his big day, with Elphick saying he left his to his partner to organise. Eurovision is all Bournemouth duo can see. Yunan O'Kane and Harry Arter have both taken another step closer to appearing for the Republic of Ireland in this summer's European Championships, having been named in the 35-man squad for the upcoming warm-up friendly versus Holland. The final squad for the championships will be named following this game, so good luck to both our boys in green. In other international news, Sean McDonald has missed out on the Wales squad, but Adam Federici has been picked by Australia for their upcoming friendly versus England. Let's hope he has a shocker, mate. And that was our very own Trevor McDonald, Sean Barker there with the latest 
AFC Bournemouth Club News from the back of the net news booth. And we'll talk about your pun shortly there, Sean. But um, I was very interested in the whole Tommy Elphick Callum Wilson wedding gate scenario. Now, I understand that uh, Callum Wilson hasn't invited any of the squad members because Tommy Elphick was there first, so to speak. But I thought to myself, God, that, that could cause some frictions within the squad, couldn't it? Yeah, well, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, yeah, the players are going to find it really tough which one they're going to go to. And it's like, no, it's not because he hasn't invited you anyway. <laughs> well, apparently uh, he's getting uh, married to his other half in the Midlands and it's going to be a sort of family thing. So fair enough. But I do you want to talk about these puns, Sean? So we've got West Ham stick their irons in the fire but can't pull out some hot cherries. Oh, that's brilliant. It's good, eh? Because West Ham are known as the irons and we're known as the cherries. Oh, right. I never knew that. Well, also, will you take this cherry? Yes, they both say. That's not bad, Sean. Thanks. Yeah, that's okay. And also, you are Mr. Topical at the moment, talking about Eurovision. Eurovision is all Bournemouth duo can see. Very good. Now, you're, I, I, you know, having lived down here, we don't give a about Eurovision, but apparently the Aussies have muscled in. Was this some kind of typo? Or are Australia now in Eurovision? I actually, I saw the whole results thing and I thought that they meant Austria, <laughs> just spelled it a bit badly. <laughs> yeah, but um, apparently it's because it's the something anniversary of Eurovision and apparently in Australia it's a very big TV event, very popular. I never knew this, but they've got invited in for one year only. That's all I know. Yeah, okay, not the Eurovision. It's boring. <sighs> Uh, club news that didn't get into club news is uh, we got a message from David Smith on Twitter and um, he's on Instagram as fighting face. And he sent us a message to say that back in January, in the midst of the heat of the Premier League season, he decided that if and when the cherries would be safe mathematically, he would do a celebration workout in the gym. Now, uh, yeah, I thought about doing the same thing, but <laughs> yeah, I just thought about it. But anyway, on Saturday, the day before the final game of the season, the time had come to do it. So here we go, Sammy. This is this is the workout he did. It's called Survival. Right. So to celebrate um, the uh, achievement, he, he changed the name Survival to Eddie Had a Dream. And he did a 50 calories assault bike, 40 burpee box step overs, 50 centimetres. Yeah. 30 pull-ups, 20 thrusters, 42.5 kg, 1,000 metres rowing, 20 thrusters at 42.5 kilos again, another 30 pull-ups, 40 burpee box step overs, and then 50 calorie assault bikes to finish. I mean, most of us just, you know, knocked the lid off another beer, <laughs> chinned it and said, well done, lad, see you next year. Not David Smith. So um, maybe next year, Sam, can we put some kind of survival uh, gym workout for you? Well, maybe, Sean, but when we uh, were the SAS, Sean and Sam for Ferndown Locomotive, we did have quite rigorous pre-season uh, training sessions, but nothing like that, really. Sam, let's not lie. We went to the Hungry Horse and we attempted the All You Can Eat Challenge. And uh, one of our listeners uh, down under in Sydney, Rob Frank, I remember him doing the Candy Mania Challenge where 
He finished his main course and he had this great big bowl of ice cream littered with hundreds of thousands and candies and all sorts of stuff like that. And his face, I will never, ever forget it. Well done, Rob Frank. Yeah. So, but more importantly, well done, David Smith, for your Eddie Had a Dream workout. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hey, now, if there was an award for the most ridiculous way to celebrate mathematical safety in the Premier League, David would have won it. But it wasn't in this year's Back of the Net Awards. However, there were 10 other categories and you guys got busy voting online at afcbpodcast.com. And Sam, I think the time has now come to present the awards. Yeah, that's right. And I've spent countless nights recently, Sean, with my abacus, with my spreadsheet and with my calculator trying to work all this out. We're going to split the awards into two chunks. But now here's the first section of Back of the Nets end of season awards. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and a warm welcome to the Back of the Net End of Season Awards. It's great to see that you've turned up in your thousands to this prestigious event. The awards that we'll be dishing out today reflect the opinions of real Cherry supporters. So, whether you're in Boscombe, Bermondsey or Barbados, we want to thank the hundreds of people that... What's going on? The sound effects tape has run out. Oh, God, you mean the people are going to know this whole presentation thing is a sham? Ugh, okay. So, as I was saying, we wanted to thank the hundreds of people who voted via the website at afcbpodcast.com. And because we left this as a completely open vote with no multiple choice, it meant that we had some really great feedback and some really unique responses but also did mean that it took an absolute age to tot up the results. However, the results are in. So entering from stage left is the envelope with the winners. Thank you. So let's begin. Ten votes, hundreds of responses, and these are the results of the Back of the Net End of Season Awards 2015-2016. match of the season quite interestingly in this vote our win at Chelsea didn't even register in our top three in third spot 15% Bournemouth 2 Manchester United 1 in second with 18% it's Bournemouth's win at West Ham 4-3 and in first spot with nearly 40% was Bournemouth 3 Everton 3 they took off Aruna Cody, they've got a chance to him. It comes across the boat, it's a goal! Stanislav makes it 3 3. For the first time, he could have said unbelievable, Jeff, and he didn't! <laughs> it was unbelievable! Best away ground visited. So, in third spot, with 12% of the vote, was Manchester City's Etihad Stadium. In second, with just over 15%, it was the Emirates from Arsenal. And with a whopping 21.2%, the winner was St James's Park. Daniels. Rabble wants it square. Daniels takes on the shot and scores! Charlie Daniels for Bournemouth. Puts Newcastle out of their misery. 
and settles the issue for Bournemouth. Best atmosphere. In joint third spot with 6% of the vote, we have Manchester United at home and West Ham away. In joint second with 12% of the vote, we've got Chelsea away and Palace away. But cruising to an easy victory with nearly 25% of the vote was Southampton at home. Funniest chance. So as you can guess, with the Best Chant Award, there were plenty of different nominations, all the way through from Lewis Graben, he left because you're sh- that was aimed at Norwich fans, and then there was Charlie Austin, he's injured again. Those ones picked up a number of votes as Southampton played Bournemouth and lost 2-0 at the Vitality Stadium. One of the popular chants was uh, aimed at Wilfred Zahar, he's going to cry in a minute, that was after Bournemouth beat Palace 2-1 on their own patch. However, the outright winner was Julian Lescott, He's got a new car. Now that was when he mistakenly tweeted a picture of his brand new sports car only an hour after Aston Villa were humiliated at home to Liverpool. Here's what Stan Collymore had to say. Now confirmed, maybe it's a weight off the shoulders. Why is it a weight off the shoulders, Jolie? It should hang on your shoulders in Dubai, in mobs, with the gold bottle with the ace of spades on it in the summer when you and Gabby and Leandro are all going to be laughing when your agents go off and take you to other football clubs. That's where the weight of the world should be on your shoulders. Stan Collymore, the moral bastion of society there. So coming up on Back of the Net later, we'll be revealing the big awards, including Assist of the Year, Save of the Year, Best Goal, Most Improved Player, Player of the Season and Supporter of the Year. Stay tuned. Congratulations. <laughs> there we go. That was part one of the Back of the Net End of Season Awards. And congratulations to the Everton game. I was surprised that the Southampton game didn't get in the top three for match of the season. But quite a bit of competition, I guess. Uh, did take out the atmosphere, though. Uh, best chart, yeah. Uh, the, I just find the whole Julian Lescott thing hilarious. The tweeting a photo of this car and then his excuse of... Oh, sorry, it, it it accidentally tweeted in my pocket. <laughs> so that was going away ground. A lot of people said actually the Newcastle. I think it was not just the ground. It sounded like the whole atmosphere and the the people mm. and the city and how welcoming they all were. And I mean how welcoming the team were on the pitch as well. Probably <laughs> yeah. helped. So yeah, well done. So stay tuned because coming up later on in the show is going to be part two where we bring out the big guns in the world of the awards. Yeah, that's right. And what's going to be brilliant about this whole thing is that over the course of the week or so, check out afcbpodcast.com because we're going to give you the official stats of each and every one of the votes as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see who came where and breaking it all down, etc. Um, just one thing with Julian Lescott that I wanted to say. It's quite interesting. I played that little Stan Collymore bit, but he actually did say on a bit that we didn't broadcast how difficult it is to accidentally send a tweet. And because you've got to open the app, you've got to find the photo, you've got to click this he he went through all the button presses it just wasn't humanly possible was it but anyway sean i'm really looking forward to this bit 
Steve Fletcher is incredibly honest in his second part of his interview, and he had chances to move away from Dean Court, which I found really interesting. And here he reveals that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The big interview. Now, when you finally made your decision to retire, it was when we just won promotion to the championship. And as you said, you never got to play in the second tier. And I, I you know, I think you should you should have done. And I guess I, I've just got a question because I always remember at, at one point during the career there were rumours going around. I think it was QPR were interested and stuff. Did you ever get any approaches from any higher division clubs? Yeah, uh, QPR, Luton, Preston, Burnley. These are all in what was it? What is the championship now? Which would have been League One back in the day, uh, or League Two probably. Um, yeah, because the Premier League had just started. Yeah, so it might have been League One Championship, whatever it was. It was the second tier of English football. Yeah, many opportunities, but the manager always convinced me to stay. And you know, there was a category of things that happened along the way. You know, I got my second contract, then I met my wife, then she fell pregnant. And I thought, well, I don't want to move away. Then I got my first house. Then they offered me a testimonial, yeah. And by the time that happened, I was in my 30s and probably my, my the ship I maybe was offered to sail on had floated by, which, you know, I had no regrets. It was my decision and I'd never changed anything for the world because I wouldn't have had the magical times I've had at this football club and still be working at the club in the capacity I do today. So, you know... We're not talking about going to Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal here. You know, no disrespect. These clubs are, are great clubs, and QPR is a big club, steeped in tradition, and so is Burnley and Preston. But they just weren't enough at the time for me to give up everything and move away because I think sometimes the grass isn't always greener. I think if you're happy where you are, and the manager likes you, and the supporters like you, and you're doing well, well, why move? Yeah, the money would have been better, but not enough for me to to warrant changing my life. You know, I. Money isn't everything, you know, happiness for me is, is more important. Money helps, of course it does. That's why we're in football, or one of the reasons why we're in football, because we want to be financially secure for our, for our families. I mean, not so much in the lower leagues that I played, but we see the, the money today that is, is banded around with the, the Premier League. But it wasn't about the money at the time for me, it was about me being happy. You know, I'd, I'd been through, like I said earlier, I'd been through enough hard times uh, to appreciate the really good times and I didn't want that to change just for me jumping club for the sake of it and there was no reason to do it um, and I'm glad I didn't 100% listen um, like I said here's Man United they come calling and that's a different a different ball game but it, it, that was never going to happen so um, I was, you know, I was, I'm so glad I stayed and experienced what I've experienced it's just beyond belief as a child growing up kicking a ball around the streets of the north east of England in Hartlepool you know, someone turned around to me and said, Fletch, you're going to play over 800 games and seven, over 700 for Bournemouth. You just laugh them off and walk away. Um, but that's what I did. And, you know, I, I have no regrets whatsoever. But, like I say, we, you do whatever you think right at the time. I had friends who moved on. You know, I had players who played for Bournemouth and thought the grass was greener. And they went off and, and probably earned a bit more money and had three or four years. And then, for whatever reason, they weren't in that team. And they ended up, going to clubs even lower than what Bournemouth were so they'd probably go down to the next tier just couldn't get it back for whatever reason they weren't playing regularly they'd gone a bit stale couldn't get the game back to what it was before they left 
And I used to think, there's an example, a shining example that the grass isn't always greener. It doesn't always work out for everybody. Um, and I was happy, very happy. And <laughs> obviously I am because I've been here 24 years now on the South Coast and I've lived in Bournemouth longer than I lived in my hometown of Hartlepool. Um, I'm almost more southern than I am northern there. <laughs> Apart from the accent, you can't lose that, right? Which my mother and father don't like, yeah. <laughs> the accent and my mother and father are not happy because it's funny, when we're on holiday and we meet people, and they go, oh, where are you from? And I go, Bournemouth. And then mum and dad go, oi, you're not. You're from Hartlepool and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> so when you did retire, Fletch, and we just got into the championship, was there a part of you that was thinking, maybe I'll speak to the gaffer and see if I can get one more year? Yeah, I did. You don't think I'm daft, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, listen, we knew, listen, I was nearly 41. I was a month off my 41st birthday. I was the oldest outfield player in all the leagues. You know, the gaffer had you know, drained every last piece out of me that was possible. He, he resurrected my career at the age of 36 when he became manager of Bournemouth and probably made me a better player in the last three years of my career than I was in the first. 15, which is crazy, you know, I mean, usually you should be dead and buried at 36 and I was just coming to light. Um, so the time was right, but you know, when you're a player and you've played for, you know, I played for like 24 years, you just think you're Peter Pan and you can just play forever. The reality was, you know, my heart was saying, carry on, you got another year in you, but my head was saying, well, not just my head, my legs, my knees, my ankles were saying, Fletch, that's enough, mate. You've took this as far as you can take it. And uh, we sat down and we shed a tear, me and Eddie, because you may not remember Eddie, the manager. You know, he was one of my best mates and still is in football. I grew up watching Eddie come through the youth ranks when I was at Bournemouth to, to becoming a professional, to playing alongside him, to rooming with him. Um, you know, he's one of my big buddies and had been for near on 22 years. Um, or 21 years, sorry. And, it, both, it broke both our hearts because he said to me, look, I'm not telling you to retire. He said, if you want to go and play somewhere else, I know a few clubs will have you. He said, but I just think the step up to the championship might be a little bit too much for you. Um, he said, I don't want you to be around the players and not joining in as much and, and not getting any game time and not involving you. He said, because you deserve more than that. He said, but I'm not telling you to retire. And he said, if you want to go and play for another year or two, he said, I know you can, you know, at League One level. And I said, no, no, no. I said, listen, if I'm not going to play here, I'm not going to play anywhere. Why would I want to go to another club that, no disrespect, but I have no affiliation with, no affection for, this is my club. I've been here, you know, 21 years, 22 years. I I didn't want to leave. I said, if it time's the time, then I've got to go. And I said, I want to stay on. He said, Fletch, you know, I, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to be in the recruitment. I want to involve the scouting department. And that was his first part of call. He said, I'd like you to be involved in that. And that's what I did for, for two and a half years before I went across as first team coordinator. Um, and I loved every minute of it and being around Eddie every day and the boys, you know, it's, it's not the same as playing. Nothing ever will. But it's the next best thing. Um, even better now because I'm training with him every day as, as coordinator and looking after them, player care. I mean, if anyone knows anything about the club, it's me and the surrounding areas and all the new players we come in, I make sure they're all right. And, you know, it's, it's been brilliant. But at the time when he told me, it broke my heart. And like I said, we shed a tear together and I think we both knew what it meant to me, to the football club. And uh, it was a sad day, but it was a new chapter. Like the manager said to me, Eddie said to me, he said, Fletch, it's an end, end of an era, an unbelievable era. You know, 24 years as a professional, 20 at one club. He said, but 
look at it as another chapter in your life. You, you're never going to play forever, even though you probably thought you were. He said, it's a new chapter and, and, and grasp it and take it on and make it your own. And, and, I, and hopefully I've done that in some capacity. And um, Do I miss it now? Probably not. At the time, the first season, I was retired. It was very difficult. I was going to watch games as, as a scout or a chief scout. You know, sometimes sat in the corner of the stands in tears because I wanted to be out there playing. And uh, that's because, I suppose, after 24 years, you become institutionalised in the sport. You live in this bubble, this football bubble, the banter, the changing room, everything that goes along with being a professional footballer. And then, bang, someone pops that bubble and it's burst and it's everything's released. And it's hard to get your head around. And you see today in the press and on the news and on social media how many ex-footballers are in turmoil and they can't handle not being a professional anymore and everything that went along with it and they tend to whatever, drink drugs, whatever, then they... And they end up ruining their lives. Um, you know, I obviously spoke about that to my wife because she's read it and she was there and you have to address it because nothing's going to be the same again like it was once you retire and you hang up your boots. Um, but then you've got to have a strong mindset and say, right, new chapter, new era. Almost like, let's do it, put that aside and never forget it and always go back to it because they're great memories, but move on. And... Um, it was difficult. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. It was difficult. And it still is sometimes when I'm out training with the boys and come back in, you get that little adrenaline buzz and you think, oh, I loved that, even if it was just for five minutes. But got a new life now, new responsibilities at the football club and um, love, love talking about the old times, as you can tell, because I never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great to hear and it's great it's interesting just to hear that side because we see it from the outside as a fan and you know our, we we suffer highs and lows as as supporters but obviously you know the players you have a whole different level of of those ups and downs and so when you moved into recruitment obviously you were um, involved in UK recruitment what player signing were you most proud of being involved in that's a tough one and it's only tough because I'll be disrespectful to any of the other players but you know I was very heavily involved in, in Callum Wilson you know I went to watch him a lot of times that season did many reports put all his goals together helped in the presentations and you know I, I had a you know obviously a, a good involvement in Callum um, and he come on he scored loads of goals for us and, and obviously that's great then because he's you know you, you put your input in you recommend this player the manager believes in you and sees whatever you put together as a as a package and um, I mean he has a final say obviously he does but we've got to bring the players to him and so Callum was great I mean you know Josh King this season has been a revelation and you know I watched him a couple of seasons ago and mentioned him to the manager and I remember I remember this season when we signed Josh King he said he looked at me and went he's your boy remember and uh, I thought oh that puts a bit of pressure on me but he's been brilliant and um, people like listen. We said yes to you know in recruitment to to Jan Kermigan who came in and you know he's helped massively in last season's push to get in the Premier League. He, he was magnificent. So there's, there's players like that. I mean, I mean we haven't so overly signed that many players. I mean people like Junior Stanislas um, was already a player for Ed Eddie and Jason back at Burnley, so they knew that player. Um, Know, the manager is very aware of a lot of players. You know, it's not as if he doesn't know any players. He probably knows more than what we do in recruitment. He's he's so astute. He knows every player, and I'm sure agents and other managers are throwing players at him every day. Um, so his knowledge is is phenomenal, really. But yeah, I'd say like you know, you look at the successful ones. Like I say, there's Callum, 
um, Callum Wilson and yeah, it was great to be involved in someone like that but you know just as much so Josh King anyone you put forward and who does well you know it's, it's, it's a proud moment because you think I helped in that even if it was just a, a small little part um, recruitment is funny business because when I got in it one of the scouts come to me and said Fletch he said it's a totally different world from football as such he said uh, and 90, 95 to 98% of what you do will be a waste of time. And that's not just watching the games and travelling around the country and pouring down rain on a Tuesday night and not getting in until 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, that's all the presentations, all the paperwork, all the reports you do on the player. If you do all that and you spend weeks and weeks on a player and watch him on 10, 15 games, not only live, but on the system we have, uh, which is called Scout, or you know, on videos and, and you can watch any player in the world. You, you spend time after time watching games. You end up by watching nearly all his games that season between you and maybe two or three of the scouts. You put it in the presentation and you make sure it's immaculate and then present it to the manager. And 10 minutes in, he goes, no, I don't like him. <laughs> and you go, oh my God. Uh, but it's true. But then you get the one player he does like who comes in and does really well and it makes it all worthwhile. So that's recruitment. It's a tough job. It's a tough ask. It's a lonely place. You're travelling around the country, um, going from game to game, not only country, but you know, we often went to Europe and you're by yourself a lot of the time. And you know, as much as I love going to games and getting there and and watching the player, you know, there's nothing worse. And when you travel up on a Tuesday night in heavy traffic, you spend five hours in the car and you get to the game and the player you went to watch is on the bench and he only gets 10 minutes at the end. It's like, oh my God, I've just spent over half a day <laughs> to watch a player for 10 minutes and that's tough. And he doesn't do anything and you come back and you go and the manager goes, well, what was he like? And you go, well, he was on there for 10 minutes. He touched the ball three times. I can't give you a report. I can't really help you. So that's hard. That's, that's, that's when it gets you and you think, oh my God, this is so frustrating. But then you go and do another game and sometimes you go and watch a player and he does all right, but there might be somebody else who does even better, and you come back buzzing because you found another player, you found someone who does really well, and you can mention him to the manager and to the, the rest of the scouting department, and we'll all watch him on that Y Scout system, and you know you might unearth another gem. Uh, that's what you're always looking for—the the needle in the haystack, that one person who can come in and make a difference. And it's a pressurised job. The manager always said to us when I was in that position, he said, "This is the most important department at this football club." Because without the signings and the players, the team doesn't succeed as much and everybody's under pressure then. So he was right, it is. Um, like I say, I still do a bit of recruitment now. I mean, although I'm training with the boys and doing what I'm doing as coordinator, he does all, often now and then on an afternoon, he said, have you got a couple of hours? Will you watch this player for me? Um, I even travelled to a few games with him in the last two or three weeks uh, to go and watch players because the end of the season's coming and we need to be recruiting ready for the start of the next season. So... That will never go out of me. That will always be in me. And I think the manager will always use that as a tool. Um, I say the more eyes on a player, the better. You know, two opinions is not enough. Sometimes you need seven or eight opinions of people you can trust. And because he's asking me, I do believe he trusts my opinion. Um, with your role now, so your first team coordinator, so what does that involve? Yeah, well, I'm first team coordinator and ambassador. I've always been ambassador since I retired. I've always kept that title. So anything to do with supporters, you know, going to events, representing the club, I've always done that. But obviously in recruitment, I never really got to see any of our home games or away games because I was always off scouting. So people would always say to me, oh, you go to the game on Saturday? I'd be like, well, 
I can't be a scout and watch other players and watch our game at the same time. So unless we played on a Tuesday night when there was no other games or maybe a Sunday afternoon, I wouldn't really get to see many of our own players live. So um, that was difficult. Uh, and then now in January, the gaffer asked me if I would like to come over and be more involved with the first team. I said, okay, what does that mean about recruitment? He said, well, you can still do a bit of recruitment. He said, but I want you in and around the first team. I think we can get more out of you. I think, you know, you'd be welcomed over here. The players respect you. You know them all. You played with half of them just a couple of years ago. I said, I'd love to. I'd love to come over. And, and he said, well, just see how you go for a couple of weeks. And just hit the ground running, really. I'm involved in training every day. I go out, help set up do whatever the manager needs me to do in training, look after the players, look after the new players coming in. You know, you're spending millions of pounds on a player. You can't just, like the old days where you go, well, there you go, mate, go and see the physio and have your medical done. I mean, we have to look after these players. They might come from another part of the country. I have to show them what Bournemouth's about, take them round, introduce them to the most important people around the football club, around the area, speak to his wife, girlfriends, because obviously they'll be lonely, making sure they know the right places to go, the right people to contact. Uh, show them around the football club, introduce them to the manager and, like I said, the, the big dogs at the football club and and then look after him and make sure if he needs something in the middle of the night, I'm there to, to go and get it. I mean, like I said, I've lived here all my life. I know everybody um, from restaurateurs to, you know, to people, you know, electricians to gardeners to, <laughs> you know, people who work on the taxi ranks if you need something I'll do it for him I'm there to do whatever the players want and it's almost like player care uh, and also whatever the chief exec wants in, on the business side of things and then I'll take people around tours around the stadium I'll take the, the players to Premier League events because there's a lot of Premier League events you've got to do throughout the season as an obligation to your um, to your sponsors to the to Barclays which is obviously the Premier League to the people who own our stadium, which is Vitality. So I'll make sure that's all organised properly. When our players go, I'll take them and make sure the event is run right. So, And then the next minute, I'm in, I'm in a school with the players or a charity event. So there's a lot to do. Once training finishes around about 12, 1 o'clock, a bite to eat and then getting on with the rest of the duties. And seeing as you are in training, you know, and we've seen videos of you involved with the lads, like it seems like they're a special bunch but how does it compare in terms of the spirit of the team to some of the sides you were involved in it's different I mean the spirit's there and you know our motto is together anything is possible and that's brought us a success and the team spirit the fact that there's no prima donnas at the club there's no superstars as such we're just a team that works hard for each other with a great work ethic and a fantastic manager and everyone's got to buy into it and they do. If they don't, Eddie doesn't want them. Simple as that. So it's difficult to compare because, you know, we were playing in League One on the third year of English football and, you know, we had a good camaraderie. We were doing things that, you know, you couldn't dream of letting the boys do now they're in the Premier League. You know, there's no going out together on a Saturday night. and Well, there's not now. So that, little things like that. The, the banter's a little bit different. Everything's a bit more professional now in the Premier League. There's a lot more responsibility you know, the eyes of the world are on them, not just in the, the town of Bournemouth, the eyes, you know, so you think all your social media, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Snapchat, your Facebook, the boys have to be told and, you know, they have meetings about it because they have to be aware of, you know, everybody's out there to to snap them and, and we never had that. You know, in Bournemouth, we, we were small, small time. Um, not that our boys are big time now, but they are in the world of football. 
Um, so it's different, but the team spirit's always been there. Eddie's always been huge on team spirit. Um, it's what has brought us success. When I said to you about the Grimsby goal and you know being that year we were given 17 point deduction for going into administration and surviving, that that was team spirit that won us or got us survival that year, and we carried that on and got promoted, and we've still got that team spirit, that bond, like you say, and that's because. And this is important in recruitment. You don't bring any bad eggs into the changing room. Eddie is so big on the personality of the player. So in recruitment, you've got to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, whatever you can to make sure that they're not lads who are out doing things they shouldn't do. Eddie wants to bring good people who want to work hard and be successful into this football club. And if you do that and you get 99% of it right, you'll have a great changing room. And that can bring success in itself. Um, like we've seen with Leicester City. Seen their boys celebrating this week, and they're all around Jamie Vardy's house, and that's team camaraderie, that's team bonding, that's togetherness, and that can take you a long way in football. Yes, of course, ability has to come into it, and and everything else that goes along with it. But the first part of call is a good team spirit, a good dressing room, and boys who want to work hard for each other. And the manager is all about that. And you know, I don't think you can really compare. All I say is that's always been the case. It's just a little bit different. It's just tweaked a bit different because you know, of the mindset we have to be in being in the Premier League compared to when we're in League One. And going back to, you know, obviously you were around with the old Dean Court and the training facilities or lack of, and do you have, you know, do you ever remind the players how lucky they are these days? Yeah, not just me, but, you know, Neil Moss, the goalkeeping coach, who's obviously been there for 17, 18 years, whatever it is. The manager every day tells them how lucky they are. It's all joking aside and tongue in cheek, but we are. We sit down with staff members and we say, God, the boys have got it like they wouldn't believe compared to what we are. I mean, we used to train on plough fields as such. You know, it was so bumpy and bubbly, and now it's like a carpet. The surface is unbelievable. And just the facilities from eating together every day with our own chef and food to, you know, have an ice bath and a hydrotherapy pool. I mean, it's just unthinkable to what we got compared to back in the day, which we didn't couldn't even get strips together or kit to wear we'd all be in mismatched kit it was it's a million miles from where we are but all for the better but yeah we remind them you've got to remind them not only them but you remind yourself you don't want to drum it down Callum Wilson's neck that we had it tough because he doesn't really want to hear that but at the right time you'll say to him and joking you know Callum call you don't know well you've got it it's you know we had this back in the day and they laugh it off and say well I'm glad I wasn't playing back in the day then and they have a bit of banter with it um but Eddie's all about the history of the club. So when we show in players videos or new players about this football club, or we put together a presentation, which we usually do at the beginning of every season with some nice music behind it and the history of the club, he'll always start as far back as we've got video footage, which would be the 30s, 40s, right up to Ted McDougall, then the great escape we spoke about in 94, then the Grimsby, and then Millennium. And we'll finish with how successful we've been as a club getting in the championship and obviously now the Premier League. So he won't neglect the history side of it. And there's pictures all around the football club in the pavilion, which we've had built for the players where we eat together and change together and do everything together. Uh, there's pictures all around of, of all players who legends of the club and historic moments of the football club. So the players don't think, oh, it's just about now. They realise where we've been and where we've come from as a football club um, to where we are today. And I think that's really hugely important. Otherwise, if you forget everything in the past and you only think of what's happening right at this present time um, I don't think it makes the man you, you should be I think you need to know like being back at school you need to know things you can't just turn up and say right what's 
what's current at this present time in the world. You can't do that. You need to know what's happened in, in the past, what maybe you want to happen in the future. And um, Eddie's big on that. And uh, I think it's another reason why we've got that team spirit, that camaraderie, and everybody you know, loves, loves the football club so much. We never forget where we came from. So with Eddie, I mean, you played with him, you played under him and you worked with him. You're a mate of his. You know, why do you think he's been such a huge managerial success? Because he is relentless in his pursuit to be the best in every department. There's not a stone unturned. Listen, I could waffle on for, I've waffled on enough already, but I could waffle on for an hour and tell you all the good things he does. But he's, the, he's great at everything because he's, everything matters to him. His work ethic is beyond belief. He's in at 6.30 every morning. He leaves the stadium, one of the latest, 6, 7 o'clock at night. Um, he sets the bar so high, we've got to try and reach it. Every little 1% that people think, that that don't matter. To Eddie, it does. And he'll nail you if you get it wrong. He comes down on you like a ton of bricks because if he lets you offer that 1% and somebody else and somebody else, all of a sudden, you know, they become big percentages and his training methods, um, getting the, the way we play football, to his man management, because uh, he knew how he wanted to be Trett as a player. He always says this. He knew how he wanted to be Trett when he was a player, how he wanted managers to treat him, and he tries to do the same back. Now, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, because you can't please everybody, but he has respect for every player. He lets them know. He talks to them. Uh, he makes them understand. His training is is brilliant. He's one of the only managers I know who actually takes training and does every single drill. I know a lot of managers that just are out there and they let the coaches do it. He's hands-on. He's trying to improve every player. He works relentlessly with every player on individual techniques after training. So if, I don't know, Simon Francis, Charlie Daniels, Andrew Sermon, Harry, whoever want to come after training, can I work on this? Bang, he's working on them doing individual stuff that'll improve their game technically and positionally or whatever, the strikers are always doing finishing. There's always a day where the manager will say, I'm in. If you want something to do, you want to work on it, we'll work on it. And um, like you say, he's relentless. And he's just so professional. He's uh, meticulous in everything. Speaks well, which I'm sure you've heard with his, with his interviews. I mean, he's only 37. And being a manager for six years, you think, you know, you'd be around him for a day and you think, wow, this... He didn't look at him because obviously he's got boyish looks and you just listen to him and watched him. You think his manager's been in the game for 20 plus years. Um, but I mean, that's as best I can sum him up. Like you said, I talk all day about him and how good he is. It's one of them though. I think you have to be in around him and, and see him at work to, to understand what he's about. Um, and give you all the superbities you want, but you have to be see it. You have to be around him and, and know what he's like. And, uh, I can't really speak highly enough of him, and not just because he's my friend, because, yes, I would still say nice things, of course I would, but I wouldn't go into detail like this um, and give him the accolades that he more than deserves. I mean, listen, he won he won the manager of the year last year when we got promoted to the championship. Not only the championship manager of the year, but he won the manager of the year was through all the managers in all the divisions. So even people like Mourinho, uh, you know, Wenger, he won the all, all, sorry, the outright manager of the year at the age of 36. It's just phenomenal. I mean, he didn't even say nothing to me. Um, he just said, well, you know, it's people voting for it. I said, no, it's voted for by the other managers. It's just an unbelievable achievement, Ed, that you, know, you can't even get your head around. And he just took it in his stride. He's very humbling. He just doesn't really... He said, yeah, but 
you know, it's just a trophy, isn't it? It's just a nice little an award. I'm like, wow. But that's what makes him what he is because he's on to the next thing now. Right, that's done. That's done. That's finished. Right, on to the next thing. Like, so when this season finishes, whether we finish, I don't know, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, right, we've got better that next season. Bang. And he's at it. There's no, like, foot off the gas. So when you take the foot off the gas, he says, you lose sight of where you want to go. And um, he'll never let that happen. Not while he's in charge, I know that. And in terms of, you know, uh, obviously the press and, you know, all the pundits are constantly talking about Eddie more and more. I mean, and, you know, talk about the big, big clubs and all that stuff. But, I mean, what do you think in terms of the long-term future of, of our club, Bournemouth, in terms of how far we can go and how far we can go with Eddie? Yeah, tough question because, and this is the nature of the beast here, people are going to see what Leicester did this season and they're going to say now and go, oh, that could be us next season. Now, you know, Eddie's already come out the table and said, we're no Leicester. You know, this is, this is Bournemouth. We've got to be mindful of who we are, where we've come from and what level we're at. But how far he could take us or how far we could go as a football club, who knows? You know, what we're trying to do ever since Eddie's been the manager is beat last season's position or success. So when we're in the championship, we almost got in the playoffs in our first season. Can we better it? Yeah, what we did, we went and won the championship. First season in the Premier League, we're going to finish whatever, 14, 15. Can we better it next season? Well, better than it would be in the top half. Could we go one further and get into Europe? Listen, you can never say no, but this is a different ball game to be in League One in the Championship. We're talking about finishing. To do that, you'd have to finish ahead of teams like Everton, West Ham, you know, Tottenham's Arsenal. This is these are huge. Let's not underestimate this. Huge clubs, um, but Leicester have proved that small clubs or smaller clubs, even though they're still a big club compared to us, they can do it. So people are going to think. And you can blame them in some respects that we can go on and maybe, you know, produce the impossible. Now, whether we can or not, I don't know. I mean, the players have overachieved already this season. We were everyone's favourites to go down. And, and once again, I can understand that. To look at the size of the club, people around the country, where we were a few years ago, and we're probably thinking, oh, that was a flash in the pan. They'll be relegated by Christmas. See you later. So we've already proved probably 90% of the nation wrong. Um, and probably a lot of our own supporters, if I'm being honest. Um, so we just got to try and take, I know it's an old boring cliche, but you've got to take each season as it comes, each game as it comes, each season, and say, right, can we better next season? And if it means we finish 12th next season or in the top half, then that, then can we beat that the next season? So I don't know the crystal, what the crystal ball is going to show. I can't really say what I believe because we've already <laughs> unbelievably overachieved already. Um, so, for us, you know, anything is possible. Can we finish in the top six or seven? You can't say no. Why couldn't we? Yes, we need an injury-free season. Yes, we need our players to perform. Yes, we've got to start keeping more clean sheets. But we'll be growing with experience. We've learned a lot in our first season. And you never know, me and you could be having this conversation this time next year. I'm sitting with two games to go and we're in the... Uh, in the European places, that's the aim. Why not? Aim high. If you aim low, you'll finish lower. If you aim high, you know, and you get anywhere near it, you're going to be really happy. So, you never know. Football's a funny old game, they once said, and they still say it to this day, and it's absolutely right. <laughs> now, lastly, Fletch, and I appreciate, thank you so much for your time and talking to us, but I just wanted to talk really just about 
you know, your long-term future and have you got any goals or where do you think you'll see yourself looking into that crystal ball? Wow, wow, wow. Um, oh, I mean, the three years since I retired have flown past. Um, what can I say myself in another three years? Oh, God, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to say still at Bournemouth, you know, working with Andretti Howe with the first team in a successful Premier League campaign. That's what I hope. You know, I don't know. I mean, who's to say Ed's always going to be at Bournemouth? I mean, if we're successful, you don't think other people aren't going to come in, but you must be crazy if you don't think other people are going to be looking at him. Um, uh, you know, and then what? I don't know. I mean, we hope to hold on to every player and, uh, and also your manager. You know, who's to say we, we're going to hold on to all the players we've got? Who's going to say we're going to hold on to the manager? We, it's a difficult football is just a, an evolving sport and one minute you could be up on top of the world and the next minute, as we know, you can be down and that can happen at any time. So if you ask me what would I like to happen, I'd like to be, you know, in three years' time, I'd like to be having a fourth successful campaign in the Premier League in the top five or six teams with Eddie Howe in charge and Jason Tindall. Um, and me be happy in my in my status at the football club, in my life, with my family growing up to be beautiful children. I have two lovely daughters who are 18 and 15. Um, and that's all I can hope for health and happiness um, and if that means me being at this football club and in the Premier League then that'll do me that Sounds like a good future Fletch Thank you so much for your time mate and you know thank you for the assists that you've given all those players <laughs> and thank you for those goals a fair few of them were pretty bloody important I always turned up I did I always turned up on the big occasion didn't I that was my problem I always turned up I always turned up on the big games if I could have turned up on the games that were just the average games through the season, then I'd probably had a much better career. People always said to me, Fletch, you know, you're a big game player. And I used to think, that's nice. But it actually, actually proves that then other games where you're playing Colchester away on a Tuesday night or whoever it may be, they're the games I should have carried on with that same mentality because it could have took me even further. But listen, we all look back with regrets and, you know, I'm no, no more than anyone else and I have hundreds of regrets hundreds um, but I also have hundreds of great memories so listen you can't have it all can you there you go well mate I, I play the football manager game and the highest accolade on that is you either get a bronze statue or you get a stand named after you and you've achieved one of those my friend so you, you've done it pretty well <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah it is crazy and I think you're like, yeah it's great memories yeah alright all the best Fletch thanks so much Maddie. top man thank you this is Steve Jones, and you're listening to Back of the Net. Well, Sean, I don't like to praise you too often, but I thought that was a really well put together interview, and it really brought out some frank, candid, and honest opinions from Steve Fletcher over his time with AFC Bournemouth. And just going into that piece where he spoke to Eddie Howe about the chance of continuing his career, and they both came to the mutual decision that it wasn't to be. That was a quite heart-wrenching and sad moment for me to listen to. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was sad when he announced his retirement as a fan. And yeah, I do think it's, sometimes you can't really appreciate what players go through. And I mean, yeah, well, as Fletch said, 
one of the toughest things I'd imagine he's ever had to do. But uh, also interesting just talking about the team and, you know, where he thinks we could end up, you know, and there's obviously there's ambition within the club. And, and as he says, it's whether we can keep hold of Eddie, which I guess, again, was pretty honest to say, look, you know, we don't know whether he will be here forever, but we certainly hope he will be. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, well done. And if you want to listen to that piece again, you'll be able to hear it all on afcbpodcast.com. Yep, and thanks to the biggin for his time. Now, it has reached the part of the show where the big dogs are about to be unleashed. The back of the net end of season awards. It's crunch time. It's part two. It's the big awards that everybody wants to win. Let's find out who took home the shiny pieces of brushed plastic. So, as we reach the pinnacle of the Back of the Net End of Season Awards for 2015-16, we're going to be celebrating all that was brilliant this season in what was a fantastic nine months of being an AFC Bournemouth fan. The awards we're going to be dishing out include Assist of the Year, Save of the Year, Best Goal, Most Improved Player, Player of the Season and Supporter of the Year. We had so much feedback from this, hundreds and hundreds of emails came in, so much so we felt like the Director of Security Search Management and Solutions Limited. Yeah, that's Mr. Reed. But anyway, let's not cast the blame on anyone. Chris, let's get on with the awards. Assist of the Year. Some varied results here in this one. Matt Ritchie for Josh King against Manchester United came in at third. In second place, Charlie Daniels to junior Stanislas in that 3 all against Everton. However, with an overwhelming 33% of the vote was Charlie Daniels to a Benekafobe, Norwich at home. What a cross. Daniels. He's got to wait here, Daniels. A phobe in the centre. Here he is! record signing with his first goal for the club it was a poacher's finish and with Bournemouth's third goal that should seal all three points save of the year so unsurprisingly Arta Boric featured in the top three but third was saving away to Schumach at Crystal Palace in second spot clinching 15% of the votes the save of a penalty away at Leicester City however coming top with 18% the double save against Manchester United comes to Fellaini great save by Boric McNair with a header and another brilliant save by Boric and Bournemouth clear their lines there was doubt whether he would play but he's justified his position already brilliant save from the volley and then the follow up header somehow got across once more right Time for the next award. Who's going to win this then? Best goal. Yeah, Sean, but how am I going to build tension when he got over 75% of the vote? Oh, I've got an idea. Okay, so at this point, I really should be doing my Chris Tarrant impression, but... uh, Oh, what? Do you want me to do it? 
Okay, it's going to be A, Steve Cook. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. It's going to be Adam Smith against Everton, Steve Cook against Villa. Should we just cut to the chase? It's Matt Ritchie versus Sunderland. Good effort. Oh, what a goal that is by Ritchie. Jaw-droppingly brilliant. Oh, and what an absolute perler that was. So, on to most improved player of the season. Well, this was an easy decision. We may as well have named the trophy after him. He won at an absolute canter with over 78% of the vote. Don't forget that many of our players have come from League One, some from the Championship, and look where we are now, eh? So everyone's an improved player, but this person scored very well. In third position, Adam Smith. In second position, Charlie Daniels. But in first place, Josh King. Clark has been caught out and Villa have been punished again. It sums up their season. Josh King gets Bournemouth second. Player of the season. Well, they say there's no I in team, but if you actually look closely, if you, if you do the A a bit funny, there, there is really. However, there is a player of the season. And this has been voted for by hundreds of AFC Bournemouth fans over at afcbpodcast.com. It's the fans' vote, and you have voted in your numbers, and we've got the exact stats right here. So here we go. Joint third place, Andrew Sermon and Josh King. In second place, taking 15% of the vote, is Charlie Daniels. But the winner, with a massive 48.4% of the vote, is Simon Francis. So some very huge congratulations to Simon Francis for picking up yet another award, this time the Fans Award, the Back of the Net End of Season Awards Player of the Season. Well done, Simon. So, one award to go. Supporter of the Year With this not being multiple choice, we opened ourselves up for, well, some interesting answers for the Supporter of the Year. We had people voting for themselves, people voting for the people that they sat next to. Lots to go through, hundreds in fact. However, there were a couple of clear standout nominees. So just to read through some of the nominations, Sammy Watson went to every game. Cherry Bear, the guy with number 44 on the back of his goalkeeper shirt. Nobby Dog, loud and proud Facebook admin for putting up with the Wingers. Tom Jordan, Ben Phillips, Louise Orchard from Paul. Lance Queens, who wrote that? Peter Bell for his work on Cherry's Chimes. Joe Wright, Juan Turbe, Alex Deutsch. We've even had Tekelo Ranti. But we did have someone who got 22% of the vote, and that is the famous Mad Clive, who's been doing all that fundraising, raising money for Julia's house with his ridiculous amount of walking. Well done, Clive. Much, much deserved. But with nearly double the percentage on 44%, There was one clear winner, and we are so pleased to be awarding 
the back of the net supporter of the year to this little man. Hello. Hello, young Kerbergon. <laughs> Good. So as you can guess, that was young Cherries fan Felix Brown on the phone there to Jan Kermigan earlier on in the season. Jan, of course, had leukaemia when he was 14 years old and he's in regular contact with Felix as he endures his gruelling treatment. Now, if you follow Felix on Twitter, you'll know that he is absolutely Cherries mad and he is the beacon of positivity. Rather than let the news get him down, Felix decided to create an internet blog to link in with his family, friends and strangers, as well as to inspire other children who are fighting cancer. You may have seen a few months ago that he had a visit from AFC Bournemouth manager Eddie Howe who called in for a cup of tea, he gave him a signed shirt and also he invited him to watch a training session as well. He's a top, top man and he's fully deserved of the first ever Supporter of the Year award from Back of the Net. Now, he's got this celebrity thing right down to a T because unfortunately he can't be with us tonight. He's probably on a red carpet somewhere at some premiere. However, he did have this message to say. Thank you to all the AFC Bournemouth fans and Back of the Net listeners for voting me as Supporter of the Year. I'm over the moon. Up the cherry. Thank you very much, Felix. I'll let you carry on hobnobbing with the stars now. That's Felix Brown, back of the net's very first supporter of the year. Cue fireworks and explosions. Wee wee! Oh wow! What a finale to the back of the net end of season awards. Think like the Olympics closing ceremony, and that's what I'm looking at out my window at the moment. I spent $3.87 on a couple of firecrackers, and man, they're just shooting up into the sky. I mean, only an inch from the capsule, but boy, they look ex- <laughs> they look grand, and it's a fitting way to end the back of the net end of season awards for this season. Hey, so Sean, do, were there any um, awards that you thought, hmm, I wasn't thinking he was going to win or they were going to win? Or was there anything that you were kind of thinking, oh, that's a bit strange? Uh, I think had we done the votes for the best save after the West Brom game, I think that the penalty save and the follow-up probably would have taken that award. But I think the United Bomb is a great one. Uh, if if Joshua King hadn't been playing for our team, I was actually... That actually shocked me. Not that he didn't... I thought he'd win. But I would have... I expected Stanislas to be top three. And I don't think we can underestimate what Stanislas did for us when when that period where we had all those injuries and we were looking a little bit rudderless and man, did he step up? And so I would have had him a little bit closer, but uh, player of the year. I mean, Francis was just the way he adapted to center back was, was just incredible. And then of course, supporter of the year, um, young Felix, that was really exciting. Great to hear. 
Yeah, it really was. And uh, I've been chatting to his mum, Kerry, as well. And um, he says that he, well, as he said, he was over the moon. And uh, she said, you know, football always puts a smile on his face more than we sometimes can. So, Felix, 100%, that's well-deserved. But someone else is going to be deserving of a T-shirt, aren't they, Sean? Because we said that one of the people who voted is going to get a back-of-the-net T-shirt that, at the moment is not available, but in the next few days, you'll be able to pre-order from afcbpodcast.com. But we're going to be making the draw today, Sean. Someone's dreams are going to come true in the next few moments. Like, forget winning Eurovision, forget Leicester winning the Premier League. This is the real prize this year. So everyone that voted, you did go all into into the draw. So we have a back-of-the-net T-shirt, which has got our logo on it, and then it's got in big letters, Eddie had a dream. It's going to be the must-have fashion accessory this summer down the beach of Bournemouth or maybe this winter on the streets of Wellington. Um, So they will be available on the website. But we are going to do the live draw now. We could use a really fancy machine like they do on the national lottery we're not going to do that we're going to refer to sam's very detailed excel spreadsheet that he put together he's put it on the screen he's going to close his eyes and then he's going to point in the general direction of the screen and i can see him on a webcam to check that his eyes are closed he's going to spin round and then I'm going to say stop, and he's going to point at a name, and let's see. I, I'm so excited, listener. I bet you are too. This In the next few moments, you could win. Here we go. Here we go. Let's listen in. This is, this is live now from Sam's living room. Okay. The hand's going up towards the screen. I can see that now. I've closed my eyes. Let me just check. Yeah. How many, how many, what am, what am I doing in front of you, Sam? What am I doing in front of the, no, he cannot, I can verify he can't see what I'm doing to him. I can't see a thing. Right, I've pressed, I've pressed the Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, mate. I've just pressed. I've pressed the wrong <sighs> thing. What's this? Oh, God, God's, God's sake, Sam. Sorry, I've got a touchscreen monitor, Sean. I've just pressed some in documentary. I was watching earlier on. Right, hang on, hang on a sec. Let me. Well, I'm gonna have to open and get my bearings back. Right, there we go. I'm back. What is? What is this? This is like amateur hour. Come on. Right, I've got it here. Here we go. The winner is. Here we go. And stop. We've got a winner, Sean. And it is Chris Hillersden. Chris Hillersden, well done. You've won a back of the net t shirt. Money can't even buy it yet. I've just uh, now clicked onto his Twitter profile. Uh, He's an AC Bournemouth season ticket holder, husband, and father. He is at C Hillersden. Uh, Are you following us on Twitter? Yes, he is. Good man. So, yeah, well done, Chris. We're going to mention you as well and let the world know that you are a back-of-the-net T-shirt winner. Well done. Wow. I mean, that was a bit of a balls up there where you, you appear to play some kind of, I don't know, some kind of song you're trying to compose in your, in your quiet times. But well done. And big thank you once again to, yeah, literally, there were hundreds of people that entered. So um, it was really great to get the feedback. Well done to all the award winners. I already can't wait for next season's back-of-the-net end-of-season awards. Hi, this is Steve Persis. You're listening to Back of the Net. So that's almost it from this episode of Back of the Net. It's the end of season episode. And, oh, hang on a sec, Sean. We've just had an email come in. And it looks like it's a breaking AFCB pun headline. And it's from Robert Murphy. That's Rob AFCB13 on Twitter. And he's come up with 
the fuse fails to light as Cherry Bomb fizzles out at Old Trafford. Oh, wow-wee. It has been a show of spectacular endings. Uh, that That's even better than that Salvatore chap's effort. Yeah, most definitely. Now, we're going to be taking a break for a little while, but we're going to be coming back with a few episodes, aren't we, Sean? Yeah, we are. So um, we're going to have two weeks, so there won't be a show next week unless this game got voided and we have to do it again after the cup final for a third time. Um, But no, we're going to be putting together uh, three special shows, which yeah, we'll kick off um, in a couple of weeks time, which look back over the season. So we're going to review the season in three parts. We're going to bring you clips of of the games, fan thoughts from when we started doing our show, but and just kind of give you just some good memories to to think back on over what has been a pretty sensational season yeah we'll pop in some some best bits of the podcast some some of sean's not so brilliant puns as well and also we're also going to try to do uh, a couple well we'll see how it goes euro 2016 podcast as well yeah that's right we're thinking we'd do some england specials so as england will march on their way to glory or abject failure so it might just be one show it might be uh four shows but yeah we'd like to bring you um those shows during the euro so they'll they'll be fully england focused so if you haven't subscribed to the show already just make sure you hit that subscribe button and then as and when we do release shows then um, that will pop straight into your podcast app yeah, so I've been racking my brain throughout the whole show, Sean. Whole show, Sean. And that's a bit of good alliteration there, isn't it? And this, do you remember, it's really, really bugging me because I've got a name in my head from a player that, as I said earlier, I know he got he done in the Ghoulies twice in the same match, but it's not him. And I know it's not him. Can you maybe just give me a couple of clues again? Yeah, I, I know you know it's not him because I saw you sneakily have a little check on Google to oh, check don't. on a name and an image. <laughs> I can see, Sam. Uh, what other clues? Uh, he was pretty good at penalties, um, wasn't very good right. at running, was thinning out a fair bit. Funny enough, I looked at a photo of him now and, you know, he's been an ex-player for quite a while. <laughs> he doesn't look a lot different to his playing days. So I'm going to put you out of your misery, Sam, because you don't know who it is. No, I don't, no. Warren Aspinall. Oh, man. <laughs> War- or Sumo, as he was known. That was the nickname. I don't know whether he liked it or not, but that was the that was the chant we used to sing at him. Well, you know what? <laughs> You may, I mean, you were definitely around in this era um, watching at the old Dean Court, but there was a match. Now, Adrian Pennock, right? I thought there was a match where he got, because he was playing for Gillingham at the time. This was after he played for Bournemouth. And I do remember where there was one game. I swear it was him. I swear it. He got done, you know, twice in the nether regions. But maybe, am I getting confused? Yeah, no, it was it was Warren Aspinall and it was Krista Warren that both times from from right back on the span that day smashed it into his ghoulies right in front of the newsstand. And yeah, I was pretty much on the floor for about the next 15 minutes laughing at that incident. <laughs> so there you go. That was Do You Remember? Um, Tot up your totals over the last four or five weeks. And if you got anywhere near five, congratulations. If you got a one, then maybe console yourself with a, I don't know, a bit of snake bites on a walkabout session with sam is snake bite is a uh, walkabout still open in bournemouth sam or has that been closed down i i think it is sean well i'll tell you what in a couple of months 
Why don't we go? Because you're coming over, aren't you, Sean? I am. Yeah, we're blowing the back of the net budget. The back of the net credit card is getting maxed out again because I'm going to be coming over in July, August. So I'm going to be there for the first game of the season, I think. Coincidentally, my flight seemed to have coincided. And we're going to look to do some kind of back of the net live event. We're not sure yet. It might be incredibly spectacular with actual proper fireworks and special guests and bouncy castles. Or it could be a couple of cans of uh, G&T round at Sam's. But either way... You, my friend, listening to the show will definitely be invited. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. But other than that, Sam, I reckon we're done, are we? Yeah, I think so. Just all we want to say is make sure you subscribe. You can listen to us in numerous ways. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Mixcloud, on YouTube, however you want to do it. Just go to afcbpodcast.com. And if you look at the top, there's a how to listen link to. And remember to check the website later on this week because one, we'll be having a breakdown of all of the AFC Bournemouth Back of the Net Awards. Vote by vote, we're going to be showing you all of the percentages on a nice little pie chart and all Also, you will be able to order the Back of the Net t-shirts as well from our exclusive online store too. It's all very exciting. I love a good pie chart. I saw this thing. It's just totally off FC Bournemouth. But a pizza is basically a pie chart of how much pizza I'm going to eat. (laughs) Like it. And on that note, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Beyond Walker. Pew. Pew! That'll do it! That will do it! Pew for Bournemouth! The roof of the gold sands is raised! Everyone here knows what that could mean to this football club. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.